let us now read what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 29 and 30. You can find that on page 541 and following. There we find God's word summarized as follows. Are then the bread and wine changed into the real body and blood of Christ? No. Just as the water of baptism is not changed into the blood of Christ and is not the washing away of sins itself, but is simply God's sign and pledge, so also the bread in the Lord's Supper does not become the body of Christ itself, although it is called Christ's body in keeping with the nature and usage of sacraments. Why then does Christ call the bread his body and the cup his blood, or the new covenant in his blood? And why does Paul speak of a participation in the body and blood of Christ? Christ speaks in this way for a good reason. He wants to teach us by his supper that as the bread and wine sustain us in this temporal life, so his crucified body and shed blood are true food and drink for our souls to eternal life. But even more important, he wants to assure us by this visible sign and pledge, first, that through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in his true body and blood as surely as we receive with our mouth these holy signs in remembrance of him. And second, that all his suffering and obedience are as certainly ours as if we personally had suffered and paid for our sins. What difference is there between the Lord's Supper and the Papal Mass? The Lord's Supper testifies to us, first, that we have complete forgiveness of all our sins through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which he himself accomplished on the cross once for all. And second, that through the Holy Spirit we are grafted into Christ, who with his true body is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and this is where he wants to be worshipped. But the Mass teaches, first, that the living and the dead do not have forgiveness of sins through the suffering of Christ unless he is still offered for them daily by the priests. And second, that Christ is bodily present in the form of bread and wine and there is to be worshipped. Therefore, the Mass is basically nothing but a denial of the one sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ and an accursed idolatry who are to come to the table of the Lord, those who are truly displeased with themselves because of their sins, and yet trust that these are forgiven them, and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and amend their life. But hypocrites and those who do not repent eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Are those also to be admitted to the Lord's Supper who by their confession and life show that they are unbelieving and ungodly? No, 
For then the covenant of God would be profaned, and his wrath kindled against the whole congregation. And therefore, according to the command of Christ and his apostles, the Christian church is duty-bound to exclude such persons by the keys of the kingdom of heaven until they amend their lives. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 132, the stances 7 and 9. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the Lord's Day for this afternoon has us deal with a fierce struggle that raged, especially during the time of the Reformation, against the Roman Catholics. In so doing, they are quite direct in the way that they condemn the Roman Catholic doctrine concerning the Lord's Supper. For that reason, some Reformed churches have tempered the language of the Catechism, especially question and answer 80. It is too sharp, they think, and they do not want to, re they do not want to offend the Roman Catholics unnecessarily. However, let's look at what is at stake. Why do we need to be warned against this wrong doctrine with such sharp language? Well, such strong language is needed also to warn us, for we are just as prone to that kind of wrong doctrine. For you see, it is man's nature to want to bring the Lord close to him in a way that is not possible or allowed. And that is what I will preach to you, that I, that is what I will preach to you about this afternoon. It is about the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And then we will see three things. We will see, first of all, his real presence now. Secondly, his symbolic presence in the bread. And finally, his comforting presence among us. A man has always wanted a God that he can touch and see. And that is why the heathen nations made their own gods idols. They left the worship of the true God, creator of heaven and earth, and made their own. They made gods with whom they could personally identify. But God's people did the same thing. Right after they left Egypt, God's own people made the golden calf, and they wanted a God whom they could see and touch as well. And God's people continued to do that throughout their history. They took over the Baals and the other heathen gods. But how angry the Lord God is at those who want to worship dumb idols made from material he had created. He says to the nation Israel, don't you realize how absurd all this is? He says through the mouth of the prophet Isaiah, all who make idols are nothing, and the things they treasure are worthless. Isaiah 44, verse 9. He tells them not to worship the created things, but the creator himself, God in heaven. While you are still in your sins, you can have fellowship with him only through faith. 
Nevertheless, in spite of his warnings, we see that the early church, only a few hundred years after the New Testament was completed, begins to fall into the same sins. Oh, they did not make the golden calf, nor did they resurrect the Baal worship. But the early church, slowly but surely, began to make a different kind of idol for itself. Also an idol which it can see and touch. By the time of the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church taught that through the idol of the bread and the wine, you could bring God near. For again, just like the Old Testament church, they wanted to bypass faith. For what did they do? They said that the bread actually is physically the body of Christ and that the wine is physically the blood of Christ. As the Catechism says, they made an idol out of it. And therefore, the Catechism calls it an accursed idolatry. The Catechism indeed uses strong language in condemning such practice. It is a language used at a time when the struggle about the truth of God's word was fierce. It is the language spoken by men who were excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church because they wanted to worship God in accordance with the scriptures. They were unwilling to participate in idolatry. Because of this, they were relentlessly persecuted and many even lost their lives. That was then. That doesn't happen today anymore. Should we then continue to use such strong language? Yes, we should. For it is also directed to us, to you and to me as Reformed believers. It is also our tendency to use shortcuts in worshiping God. We have to learn from what happened. We want to make God's word more palatable. And so there are those, for example, who want to use all kinds of illustrations and slides, etc., to bring God closer to them and to bring his message near. It is true, of course, that God's word must be made clear, but never at the expense of the word. For how does God come to us? He comes to us in his word. In his word, he doesn't just explain things, but he especially encourages us with his word, and he exhorts us, he warns us. A picture on a screen or a slide cannot do that. You see, God's word is not just meant to be explained, but especially to be proclaimed, to be preached. We have to hear God's word. That is how God enters into our hearts. That is also how he comes near to us. Paul says in Romans 10 verse 14, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And Peter says that we have been born again through the living and enduring word of God. And then he adds in 1 Peter 1 verse 25, and this is the word that was preached to you. God's word 
has to be central in the worship service. We have to learn what happened in the Roman Catholic Church. For look at how the doctrine of transubstantiation became the official teaching of the church. Slowly but surely, God's word was no longer central in the worship services, and consequently not in the lives of the people either. The people and the clergy had become lazy. It was a lot easier to practice certain rituals and to worship God through dumb images. And so the people neglected God's word and therefore no longer knew their Bible. Over time, the official Bible had become the Vulgate, which is a Latin translation of the Hebrew and the Greek. But as time went on, the people no longer understood the Latin language. And so they were no longer confronted with the truth of the scriptures. It became easy, therefore, for idolatrous practices to creep into the church. Yet they wanted to be close to God. And so the doctrine of the physical presence became a substitute for the spiritual presence of Christ. They began to worship God's presence in the bread. In the end, that became also the official doctrine as declared by a council in the year 1215. It is a lot easier to worship some outer form. We come to the second point. It is a lot easier to partake of the Lord's Supper in the belief that the actual eating of the body of Christ is going to spiritually make you one with him. The Roman Catholics believe that by eating of the bread, you automatically receive the grace of God, which allows you to partake of him. They treat grace as some kind of substance with meritorious qualities. And so as long as you receive the sacraments, then you can go on again in your apostate lifestyle. And then automatically you will receive enough grace so that you can last until the next time. And all the sins you did not purge in this way can be paid for in purgatory. After spending some time there, you can still go to heaven. In this way, the covenantal relationship that the Lord God makes with the believer and his seed is make a mockery of, for the bread and the wine are signs of the covenant. And the covenant should not be seen as something where the heart and the mind play no role, as if it is only an external thing. When God makes a covenant with you, he does so because he wants to be intimately related to you. Remember the summary of the ten words of the covenant. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the demand of the covenant. And since the Lord's Supper is subservient to the word, the Lord reminds us of that demand in the Lord's Supper. And so what then is the true meaning of the words 
this is my body, as the Lord Jesus spoke those words at the time when he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Well, it is clear that the Lord wants us to understand those words in a spiritual sense. He wants to be worshipped, as he says in John 3, in spirit and truth. He wants our heart and our soul. He does not want some outward worship. No, he wants you and me to surrender ourselves totally to him with our whole being. It is not just a physical thing, but it is a spiritual thing. When Christ spoke the words of the institution of the Lord's Supper, he was still physically alive. And therefore, when he said the words, this is my body, he didn't point to his own body. Everybody knew that, but he pointed to the bread. The bread symbolized his body. Nothing more and nothing less. And what a great significance that had. It meant that he does not just want some external obedience to some rituals, but that he wants to be served from the heart. Also those among us who go to church and partake of the Lord's Supper and see it all as something that infers grace upon them. They see these acts as the actual obedience that God requires. But if that is the way you see it, then you also make an idol out of the Lord's Supper, and you make an idol out of the church. And then you are just as guilty. That's why we have to take this warning to heart and this strong language. Brothers and sisters, going to the Lord's Supper does not save you. Your act of coming to church does not save you either. God says, I want your heart. I don't want some outward compliance, but I want you to truly believe in me and also show that in everything that you say and everything that you do. And if that is how you think, then you will come to church and then you will go and celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's not the other way around. Let's keep in mind why Christ came to earth. He came so that he could have all the sin of all mankind laid upon him and so that he could die for those who believe. It was a unique sacrifice. It was a once-for-all sacrifice. It could never be repeated. And that's a great comfort. And that's our third point. If we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the way that the Roman Catholic Church does, and then we also rob ourselves of the great comfort that the Lord God has given us in his word. For example, in Hebrews 10, verse 11, speaking about the sacrifices in the Old Testament, it says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. And here it comes, which can never take away sins. The sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, brothers and sisters, we have a much greater comfort. 
For Christ offered up his body once for all. That is why he came to earth. That is why he was born in the flesh. And that is why he became like us, a human being. But now his flesh is no longer on earth. Christ is bodily in heaven. Remember what it says in Lord's Day 18, where we are taught that Christ, with respect to his human nature, is no longer on earth. Christ ascended bodily into heaven. And the great benefit for us in that regard, we are told, is that he is now our advocate in heaven before his Father, and that now we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Christ did not just die. He also rose from the dead and now is seated at the right hand of God where he prays for us, for you and for me, and where he rules all things. And so we must speak with the scriptures that teach us the spiritual, not the bodily presence of Christ in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. Why did the Lord Jesus use these simple words, this is my body? Well, he chose those words for the childlike in faith, for you and for me. There are many learned treatises about the doctrine of the Lord's Supper. Books and books and books have been written, in which a lot of which only learned people can understand. The problem is that man often complicates things. He obscures that which is clear. The language of the Lord's Supper itself is very simple and yet very profound. He chooses an example from everyday life. He says, bread and drink feed you and refresh you, right? Much of your life centers around food and drink. So I will give you a sign that will help you understand spiritual food and spiritual refreshment. For isn't that true? Even though we, because of our abundance, take our food and drink for granted, we know nevertheless that we need it. Constantly we hear about the plight of the hungry people all over the world, through the TV or pictures in the newspapers and magazines, the internet, we see them scrounge around for food, we see the panic of the people, as they rush towards the food supply trucks or the food containers dropped by airplanes. Hundreds are dying every day because of lack of food. And there you are confronted with a daily need for sustenance, the need for bread. Same is true for us. We spend a good portion of each day in order to bring bread on the table. And now the Lord reminds us that we especially need spiritual food. It is that spiritual food that you need desperately in order to remain spiritually alive. He says, I bring you spiritual food every day. I give you my body and my blood to still your spiritual hunger. 
It is that simple. He says, I feed you for eternity with my word. And so if he offers, offers us that spiritual food, we cannot stay away from the Lord's Supper, can we? We do not stay away from the supper at home, so why would we stay away from church, from receiving that eternal bread and drink through the preaching and the Lord's Supper? Indeed, we die a spiritual death if we do not partake of the spiritual food that the Lord God sets before you. Let's ask ourselves, do we take that spiritual food of the Lord seriously enough? Can we say that we hunger for that food and drink as much as we should? Do we go out of our way to be fed spiritually by the Lord? Think about it, brothers and sisters. We cannot do without the food and drink that God sets before us. And he hands it out to you. Isn't that wonderful? And therefore, you may not turn your back to it. In the Lord's Supper, Christ wants to assure us that, as the Catechism says, through the working of the Holy Spirit, we share in Christ's true blood and body. The Reformers went back to the great truth of the Scripture that Christ is with us always, as he had promised. As he promised, for example, in the very last verse of the Gospel of Matthew, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the message that Christ wanted to convey to each generation of believers, to you. Christ knew how much the people longed to have God close by, to have him near. And he promised that he would indeed be close by to them always and forever throughout the generations. He says to the people in the sign and the seal of the Lord's Supper that they are his adopted children through faith. Even though he is in heaven and we are on earth, nevertheless we have continual communion with him through faith. And that faith that is created in our hearts through the preaching of the gospel. All the believers together share in that faith. For as we heard this morning, we only, not only share with him, but also with each other. And that is why it is also so important that the Lord's Supper be celebrated as a communal meal. As a meal wherein we sit together. It is possible for the Roman Catholic priest to administer the bread to an individual person. This is tied in with their erroneous belief that somehow the bread has some magical powers. But that is so far removed from the scriptures. Christ instituted it as a communal meal. The 12 disciples were in the same room together when Christ spoke the words of the Lord's Supper. The Jewish Passover feast, which forms the background to the Lord's Supper, especially celebrates an action in which God deals with his people as members of one body. And through the celebration of the Lord's Supper, the believers feel strengthened and they feel that they must do this together as children of God. The Lord's Supper can never be celebrated in isolation from other believers. For also in the New Testament, 
It is, first of all, a covenant with all of his people before it is a covenant with an individual. God deals with his people as a covenant community. That is why you don't go to some internet church. You come together in this church building. You interact with one another. The communion of saints is such an important thing. Paul referred to this communion in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 17. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. The meal strengthens the fellowship of love and service to God and to each other. But the Lord's Supper also anticipates what is to come. And there the real comfort comes in. For the Lord's Supper is a food for eternal life. Christ gives within his church, especially in the Lord's Supper, a foretaste of the final marriage supper of the Lamb. As it says in Revelation 19. In the Lord's Supper, participants look forward to the time when they will see Christ in the flesh. We can only see Christ now through the sacramental veil. We see him with the eyes of faith. But in the life to come, we see him as he is. And so this sacrament is, appoint, is the appointed means by which God gives us this wonderful encounter with him in the Lord's Supper with what is to come in the life hereafter. The Lord's Supper has been instituted in order to look forward in hope to the glory of the final destiny of all things. How beautiful that will be. And so we may together look forward to the day when we will eat the supper with Christ and with all the believers in the kingdom of God. Are you looking forward to that, brothers and sisters? Then worship him in the way that he commands. God is near you. You can see him. You can touch him. But it is only through faith that that is possible. And so allow him to come to you through his spirit and through his word. Believe what he says in his word. And you will experience his spiritual presence in this life and in the life hereafter. Amen.